Hello and welcome to Fintech Insider Insights. I'm Ross Gallagher, Venture Lead here at 11FS. In today's episode, we are asking, is debt the last taboo of financial services? As an industry, financial services can talk endlessly about positive user journeys and financial enrichment. But when it comes to the tough topics, it's a little more challenging to open up. No topic seems more taboo for the financial services industry than the topic of debt itself. But with people in the UK owing £1.8 billion as of January 2023, and some 340 million Americans currently carrying some form of debt, this is a subject far too important to ignore. So in this show, we've put together a panel of amazing experts to discuss why is debt such a taboo subject? How do you help people avoid unworkable debt? And how do we improve the debt collection process? We'll discuss all of this and more in today's show. But first, a few brief messages, so please don't go anywhere. This episode is sponsored by Blinkist. The Blinkist app offers distilled content from over 5,000 non-fiction books and podcasts in an audio-first experience, so you can easily fit them into your day, letting you learn new things all on the go. Discover a friend of the show, Dan McCrum's Money Men, his journey to exposing the Wirecard scandal, all within 20 minutes. Sounds pretty good, huh? Well, right now, Blinkist has a special offer just for you, our Fintech Insider listeners. Go to Blinkist.com forward slash Fintech to start your seven-day free trial and get 25% off a Blinkist premium membership. And now for a limited time, you can even use Blinkist Connect to share your premium account with a friend or partner and get two premium subscriptions for the price of one. That's Blinkist, spelt B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com forward slash Fintech. Buying a home is the biggest and most significant purchase most people make in their lifetime. And it doesn't matter where in the world you're buying, the process is rarely easy. In our latest report, experts from our 11FS Ventures team look at why the home buying process is broken, how we can fix it, and the massive commercial opportunity it presents for banks and fintechs. Download your free copy at 11FS.com slash homebuying. That's 11FS.com slash homebuying. Okay, let's get started. Um, as ever, I am not alone. I am joined by a panel of amazing guests who can come and shed some light on this super interesting topic. So first off, it's a FinTech Insider debut for Neil Costello, UK Marketing Director at Lowell. Neil, listen, thanks very much for uh, for being here. Maybe you could uh, start just by briefly telling our, our listeners both about yourself and, and a little bit about Lowell. Yeah, and, and thank you very much for the very kind invite. So uh, yeah, Neil, I've, I've been working uh, Lyle for a few na- years now, uh, previous to that, helped set up the, uh, the fintech bank Atom uh, in, in the UK, and then many years under the Aviva umbrella, looking at, looking after several brands there. Uh, Lyle is probably one of the biggest brands in the UK that people don't know about. Uh, so we've got around 7 million customers, and, and, and we're at the forefront across Europe around debt purchasing and, and, and debt servicing. So... Uh, we've got about 25 million accounts across Europe, and if we translate that into the UK, that's about 7 million customers. And over the years, one in five of the UK adult population has been a, a customer of ours, so pretty big. Yeah, yeah, you've got a really unique, um, I suppose, understanding of this space, Neil. So thanks so much for 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 coming on and, and sharing your uh, your expertise and your insights. 
So we also now have a FinTech Insider debut for Siamak Reze Zodar, VP of Product Marketing and Insight at Go Cardless. Uh, Siamak, welcome. Maybe again, you could just tell tell our audience a little bit uh, about yourself and, and, and a little bit about Go Cardless. Love to and uh, super happy to be here, Ross. Um, so um, as you said, my name is Siamak Reze Zada. Um, and uh, I've been at GoCardless for nearly six years now, um, lately as kind of leading both our product marketing and insights teams, which kind of gives me, I think, really three roles, really trying to understand the pains of our customers, trying to work with our product teams to roll out products and features that our customers actually want, uh, and then trying to make sure that our customers understand the value they get out of, out of what, they, what they buy from GoCardless. Uh, and, you know, at GoCardless, we fundamentally believe that bank payments are the best way to get paid. Um, we been going for about 12 years now um and that kind of insight of focusing entirely on bank payments has been with us since our inception uh, we help business co- businesses collect both recurring and one-off payments without the need to you know chase um, for payments without you know in, in investing huge amounts of time and effort and ultimately stress in kind of chasing payments and chasing down debt uh, and without expensive fees as well um, and kind of the way that we operate is we look at how do you collect payments directly from the bank account? And then we layer on top of that things like payment intelligence to predict things about your payers or, or your customers that might help you um, collect payment or leverage insights from their bank accounts directly using open banking to understand them and make faster and better decisions. We have about 75, 80,000 customers or so um, and you know process you know, tens of billions of dollars uh, a year. And so yeah, hopefully can provide some insights both from what our customers um, who may be chasing debt may be looking for, but also um, a lot of our, um, think of it as payers, people actually paying um, and how they like to think about both making payments and, and not being able to make payments as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. And look, I think, again, some sort of unique and interesting implications on the the sort of bank payments and sort of, I suppose, more broadly open banking and all of that sort of stuff on this space as well. So I think we'll get into that as we go through the show. But again, thanks so much, uh, CMI, for coming on and, and sharing your uh, your insights. And then last but by certainly no means least, uh, we have Karen Andres, uh, Director of Policy and Market Solutions at the Aspen Institute. So Karen, listen, great to have you again. Maybe you can just tell us a little bit about you and a little bit about uh, the Aspen Institute. Sure, sure. First, thanks so much for having me. I'll be the uh, representing America over here. Uh, so the Aspen Institute Financial Security Program uh, as part of the broader Aspen Institute, which is a Washington, D.C.-based policy studies organization. Some might call us a think tank. But at the financial security program, we're focused on uh, making financial security the, a top national priority. And it uh, sounds a little bit strange, you know, in the wealthiest nation in the world, um, financial insecurity is actually the majority experience. And so we uh, aggregate uh, research and data uh, and engage and, and partner with leaders across industry, across advocacy, nonprofits, and also policymakers to seek solutions um, that will improve the financial security of Americans. As a, a note, we started our work in the field of retirement savings and, in fact, have a many years long uh, transatlantic partnership with Nest UK. And so we're quite familiar with the savings landscape um, and investing landscape in the UK. But Debt is the other side of the balance sheet, um, right? So you can't have a conversation about on either side of the Atlantic about wealth building, um, wealth gaps, about asset building without also talking about uh, the liability side. And so we've done a good deal of work on the U.S. side about 
all the forms of consumer debt, how we got to the point of indebtedness, what are the drivers and the dimensions of it, um, and then done a little bit on the solution side. So happy to be here and be part of the conversation. Yeah, and look, we're really happy to have you. And I think um, you're absolutely right. And actually, I like the, the balance sheet analogy. I think, you know, most consumers experience, I expect, they would tell you that it's a lot easier to get into debt than it is to sort of build wealth and all of those sorts of things. So looking at both sides of the coin, like you said, um, I think it's just so important. So yeah, Karen, look, great great to have you and looking forward to sort of digging deeper, shall we say, as we uh, as we go through the show. So um, those are our guests. Um, let's dive in. Let's lay out the taboo around uh, debt, debt collection, and, and that whole uh, side of the industry. So Neil, look, maybe I'll come to you first just for a little bit of um, a little bit of context. I mean, you're sort of very much directly exposed to this in the sort of UK and European markets, as you said. Why do you think, I guess, conversations, if we boil it down to the to very essence, why are those conversations so difficult? I, I, I think of a position where we are in the UK, so, so um, let's be frank, and we, we deal with problem debt. So we, we buy debt from many of the biggest brands in the UK who can't find or, or don't want to invest in, 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 in finding the consumer who's found themselves in problem debt. But to answer the question, I think it's it it's more fundamental than that because we've got very very strong evidence for the link between unmanaged debt and poor mental and physical health, uh, and it's almost a two way causation. So if you're in debt, in problem debt, you can end up in poor and mental physical health. Likewise, if you're in poor and mental physical health, you can end up in 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 problem debt. And um, I, I think for me, there's certainly here in the uk there's a feeling of almost hopelessness and shame that inhibits many of our customers and many people who are in this situation from seeking emotional practical support um and it's for us as a brand and a sector and for the regulators to encourage customers to engage in in the problem debt that they have because a business like ours is a fundamental part of the, of the, the credit cycle yeah Absolutely. I mean, Karen, I could see you. I could see you nodding to to some of Neil's Neil's point. I guess to your mind, what are what are some of the the causes of sort of debt, unworkable debt, problem debt, and I guess um, how much of it boils down to yes, I suppose sort of a lack of financial understanding, but I suppose to Neil's point, I guess some of those sort of legacy emotional issues around actually being comfortable, being open and, 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 and sort of talking about these things and actively seeking help? Yeah, those are, it's a great question. You know, I think, I think level setting on, um, kind of how we got ourselves to the level of indebtedness in the U S and in some ways it's different from the UK. So we have three and four households in the U S carry some amount of debt. It's a fact of life, right? Debt has become a fact of financial life in the U S. And I think we have to acknowledge a couple of things. One, um, our incomes, w- wages in the U.S. in real terms, have not kept up with the major costs of living in the United States. We we talk about inflation like it's like it's been low, but that's the CPI, right? Uh, and when we talk about the major buckets, right? So rent, uh, the cost of higher education in the United States, which I'll get to in a second, uh, that we finance that quite differently than than in Europe and the UK. Uh, the cost of medical care, again, we've made a different set of policy choices than than other countries have made there. Um, and so we have a stack 
of ex- oh, childcare. Oh my goodness, childcare before kids go to elementary school. So the stack of expenses is now higher than the median income. And so we are, you know, the, the, the common experience in the U.S. is that people are now sort of operating at a, at a deficit all the time. The net result of that is we actually have one in 10 households who live in a state of net debt, of negative net worth. Um, and that's going to be disproportionately households of color in the U.S. So um, I just that's like the the sort of the basics of how we got there. So I think that's always important to level set that um, is there are there people who struggle to manage money? Yes, but that's not the main driver of it. I'll also say just to zero in on what we call student loan debt, right? Financing um, college or university, well, university for us, uh, college or university, the same thing for us, and medical debt, right? Our private medical insurance um, means that people, that medical debt is actually, uh, is the most common form of debt collection lawsuit in the U.S. is for medical debt. These are hospitals suing people. So just to say, I think that that's just the landscape of kind of how we got here. It's really a set of policy choices and labor market, uh, labor wages not keeping up with that stack of expenses. It's a really helpful breakdown. And actually, I suppose for me, one of the things that stood out was Obviously, everybody now is talking about inflation, right? Because inflation is is higher than we've seen in a generation, right? But the point that you made that's actually so interesting is that CPI, and that's typically a sort of, typically a basket of sort of regular household goods, right? So that's what we're talking about. What people often don't sort of think about then in that context is the things like rent. It's things like childcare, like you mentioned, that as a proportion of people's income over time, has skyrocketed, right? So that's a much a much higher proportion. See, Mac. I mean, we're we're talking about sort of inflation, perhaps historically being low, but those things those things climbing as a proportion. But how much more of an issue is this today when we're talking about inflation just across the board, also higher than um, than it's been, like I said, in a generation? Yeah. Um, uh, before getting started, I think I just wanted to touch on another side of the story when you said what kind of why conversations about debt so difficult. Uh, I think there's there's another side of that story that's important to to recognize, uh, and then and then debt will debt happy to come on to, to to that part as well. I think that you know when we talk to business owners, in particular small business owners all around the world, uh, kind of off the top of my head, I'm thinking about ones in the UK in particular, um, and we ask them about what do you do when your customers owe you money, right? Um, like that's the other side of debt and the other side of the conversation. And, you know, we know that about a quarter of, of uh, British small businesses, for example, um, feel completely uncomfortable and unprepared to have conversations with their customers about about money at all um, in a business context. And interestingly rises to to almost, almost a third um, when those small business owners are women, right? So like you have a a real substantial number of people who are owed money and don't know how to have that conversation for with their customers about okay well well how do you how how do we think about this debt how do we think about kind of paying for kind of the services that i've delivered uh, and interestingly over 7 in 10 businesses um, would actually be willing to forego um, up to 10% of their revenue just to avoid that conversation entirely right um which speaks to speaks speaks volumes to the fact that the conversation is so difficult, right? And not just a conversation around debt, but a conversation around dealing with debt. Even if you're not the one in debt, if, you, if you're the one who's actually owed the money in the first place, um, it's not a comfortable topic and people don't have the tools to, to deal with it and, and are, you know, I mean, happy is probably the wrong word, but willing to kind of give up 
on services that they've delivered just to avoid that conversation. Um, and I think that's, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a, almost a shocking number, right? Yeah, it speaks to an, a, a sort of, I guess, like an incredible psychology, right, that, that, that sort of surrounds debt, like, on both sides, which actually, I guess, Neil, coming back to you, I'm interested, because I guess, you know, when you're dealing with people that are in sort of difficulties with debt, I suppose you're engaging with people that typically are in some form of personal crisis, right? So how do you how do you sort of manage that? It's, it, it's a challenge. Let's let's not 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 face away from that. If you, if going back to kind of the, the the cost of living crisis that we're all going through at the moment, so in in the UK in particular, you know the the, the older deciles and and the poorer deciles have been disproportionately hit by the the economic factors, and 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 we face into that by treating people with dignity having a very sustainable b- approach to affordability um, so we don't charge interest or anything like that and, and and being very, very careful with customers that are in vulnerable situations. Um, so whether that's providing um, breathing space, whether that's setting up very, very long-term plans at low cost to, 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 to help them get back into the credit cycle, which to be fair is, is, is most of the reason why somebody engages with us so they'll avoid a debt with again some of the biggest brands in the, in the uk um and then it will come to i want to buy my first home or, or i want to start taking credit out again and then they realize the damage that the, the problem debt has done on the credit score and you have to be sensitive and, uh, uh, and as a brand and as a part of the financial services sector that has only relatively recently been regulated in the uk and still there are some out there that are unregulated and and cast a, a longer shadow there, I say, on the rest of the sector in terms of how you behave with customers. I think it is all about that dignity and, and, and understanding of the circumstances that made a customer get into that situation. So, so you'll have a lot of businesses that are driving heavily towards digital in financial services, understandably so. But from our perspective, we think it's vitally important that we have that conversation so we can deeply understand the circumstances that inevitably was that one trigger or tipping point that tipped somebody into into problem debt. Yeah, and it feels like obviously, like I said, a personal crisis. It feels like that sort of like that human interaction, that human touch point would be more comforting, would make a big difference versus a sort of digital interaction. Vital. Vital. You know, yeah. you can pick up all of the nuances and all that sort of sort of stuff. Karen, I'd like to close this section with you. I know you guys, obviously, as a, a sort of nonprofit, are doing great work in this space, but you know, who, who, who do you think, where do you think the responsibility lies, right, around sort of opening up the conversation around debt and trying to engage people before it gets into a point of problem debt? Yeah, I mean, I think I was, I was turning this question over in my mind in advance, and I think there are a number of ways you can think differently about problem debt, right? So I think first to sort out uh, that there's, there's debt that comes from a loan and there's debt that comes from an unpaid bill. Right. And and those are two different things. And even across those, the bill and then there's within the debt from loan, there's secured and unsecured. And I think in the US context, I think what we're sort of focused on is that, you know, when when a debt goes delinquent and the the creditor, rightly so, right, that needs to be a collection system to Neil's point, there, there's dignity and fairness. And consideration, right? But also, the creditor needs if needs to find a way to collect to the extent that they can. You have to have that's essential for a well functioning credit market, right? 
But in the U.S., especially when it comes to unsecured loans, especially uh, credit card and medical debt, these very often end in a lawsuit that can actually end in imprisonment. <laughs> um, and it differs. A debtor's prison, not actually dead in the United States. And it finds a little, there's some technicalities. It's actually, you know, found a contempt of court for not responding to a summons after you. But the fact is, you can actually be put into jail as part of a debt collection lawsuit process. And I think I think that's a little shocking to hear in the United States, uh, but we see that there's an, a real, to ensure the dignity uh, and frankly, the best outcome for everybody, we think that there's some real reform that needs to happen in the court system that would ensure a much fairer process that would level the playing field a bit between creditors, whether those are original creditors or debt buyers, and the defendants or, or alleged debtors. I don't know. I don't know to what extent that's an issue in the UK, but certainly we um, we have a seventy percent rate of default judgment on those cases, uh, which tells you that these these are um, cases that are being filed without ever being. Uh, there's no proof required. The defendant doesn't even engage in the process, and we have ten million people a year who have been sued, with seven million of those basically being found. Um, liable for that debt, whether they owe it or not. Wow, they really are. They really are eye-opening statistics, right? And I think difficult to engage people in a positive conversation around debt when the process or at least the outcomes can be so punitive, right? So I guess, right, so having sort of set out the current taboo, I guess it's a really good segue, Karen, from your point. Let's look at maybe how the industry works on sort of managing unworkable debt, right? So how do you, how do you help people, I guess, avoid it. Maybe, Siamak, how, how, how easy is it to, to sort of spot when debt might be coming unworkable in the first place? Or I guess that's, that's the starting point. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so I'll come at this question, I think, from the go cardless kind of technology provider angle. Um, and I'll wear the, I'll wear the technology solves everything hat, even though we all know that it doesn't quite, right? But I think there's a couple of things, um, certainly that we do, or we help our customers do, that, that certainly helps with with kind of managing, spotting, identifying these sorts of things. Uh, I think number one is, and, and maybe we'll touch on this a little bit later. You know, we I think the idea is you know keeping an eye on how much your 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 end customers can truly afford um, to kind of take on debt, take on services, pay for things, buy things. You know, trying to figure out exactly what they can can and can't afford, and kind of offering pro- products and services and, and and loans that that respond directly to that. And you know, we think that data provided through open banking, so directly from the customer's bank account, is a great way of understanding and doing that, right? So not relying on kind of them saying, hey, yeah, that's fine, or um, you know, maybe not even credit scores per se, but actually looking to the bank accounts and saying, all right, well, you know, this person clearly has an income of X per month. They spend Y per month on this type of service, Z per month on this type of service. It, it can be pretty clear going back over the last you know, two, three years, to build up a pretty accurate income uh, verification picture um, to understand what they can and can't afford. You can, you can build up a pretty clear kind of credit risk picture um, to understand what pe- what money is, how money is being spent, right? People are entitled to spend their money however they want, but some uh, some behaviors are more risky, inherently more risky than others. And building up that picture with the consent of the, of the end customer themselves to say, okay, well, have access to my bank account. 
see what I'm spending money on. You can judge my income levels. You can judge what I have and then use that to um, understand what's truly, truly affordable for that individual. So that's kind of kind of one area, certainly on the GoCardless side, we work with uh, uh, you know businesses in particular, fintechs in particular, kind of lending companies to kind of to give them really, really smart, really, really fast access to that level of information. Uh, and then on the second side, I think you know ideas around um, how, uh, and it's probably less true on the kind of loan side and more side, um, to, to Karen's point on the, you know, haven't been able to make a repayment on make a payment on something that's been, that's owed, um, you know, a product or service that you that you purchased and you know you've missed a payment. I think um, whilst I, I I do agree that um, you know personal touches are are phenomenal, I think what's really the answer is not necessarily personal touches. Responding in a personal and unique way for the individual, right? So um, one of the things that that you can one of the ways you can certainly approach these things with masses and masses of data is to look at, okay, let's look at, you know, billions of dollars of kind of payment, payment dollar data, like billions of dollars of recovery, payment failure data points and saying, okay, um, Karen's payment has failed this month. Um, instead of trying to recover that payment on the 10th of April, we predict that actually she still won't have money in her account on the 10th of April. So instead of just randomly retrying on the 10th of April, which by the way, will incur an additional fee from her bank for that, we actually predict that the best time to retry will be on the 15th. Whereas Simac, well, Simac actually never has money in his account, so don't even bother retrying um, his payment. Whereas Neil, you should retry it on the 20th of April, for example, right? And that way you get a real kind of customer-centric uh, approach to kind of recovery, which I think it reduces this these levels of unworkable debt because your kind of recovery processes are based around the individual. So I think you know, technology can help, I think, on two of those two of those areas to um, spot um, and reduce unworkable debt. The first area around understanding the customer and the second area around, you know, using machine learning and, and data to have a real customer centric approach to to that debt. Two incredible examples. I love I love the one about, you know, that bit about just being a little bit more intelligent so that you're stacking the deck in the favor of consumers rather than, you know, it's, it's kind of the point we talked about at the top of the show, this idea that it's easier to get into debt than it is to to uh, to build wealth. Well, you know, if you've got a combination of those little bits that are just making things easier, and like you said, you're not incurring additional fees and all that sort of stuff, obviously that will have a massive, a massive benefit. The other point I think about that real-time affordability, that I think has the potential to be an absolute game changer, right? Because, you know, you can actually share you know, say link, link, link all of your accounts. You can give a loan provider a holistic view across all of your accounts so that they can actually assess affordability in terms of like where you stand in that very moment. Um, and based on that, they can give you sort of like fairer prices, you know, borrowing rates, all of that sort of stuff. So again, I just think that's a game changer. It raises an interesting point, um, maybe Karen, around sort of from a consumer's perspective, actually taking on debt and i guess it comes back to the financial literacy piece understanding sort of responsible practices around taking on debt how do you think that you sort of um you, you encourage consumers there well to go back to to cmx point like i just to say it's like seeing the future you know we don't have an open banking regime yet in the us and we're all um sort of enviously watching as as the ability to do kind of really personalized cash flow underwriting uh, as that takes shape, right? And I think it's a little bit connected, Ross, that 
heretofore, it's, you know, it's just been some version of the four C's, right? Of the character, you know, whatever, the old kind of old school way. And then we've gotten ourselves to a credit score, which is, you know, it, it it's only as good as it is. But now, you know, we are unlocking this whole set of tools, not only on the on the lending side, but on the saving side, on the next best dollar. Like, you know, I'm despite sounding like uh the number one consumer advocate in the United States here, I actually am super bullish on what technology can do. I think it has to be balanced with some protections, right? I mean, I when I sort of hear that model, I think like, wow, that could totally revolutionize. Um, and, you know, and we, we're studying cash flow underwriting here in the U.S. also, but uh, that could revolutionize underwriting and giving people access to the right amount of credit. And, and not just the right amount of credit, but the way the payment is restructured. And is there flexibility uh, you know, to match the income volatility, you know, it just, it opens up a whole world of customization. I think that um, to put that consumer protection hat back on, you know, when we have visibility into all of the accounts, um, and I don't know about the UK, but in the US, we had the ability to garnish wages, right? When, when a lawsuit is found in favor, I'm going all the way to the end, right? Kind of the worst case scenario, which is where many of the lowest income Americans find themselves in these, at the sort of the tail end of debt collection. Um, have to make sure that there are enough exemptions and protections for their money so that they're not, that the collection of a debt doesn't put them further into poverty. And it, it's opening up these incredibly powerful tools of data aggregation and open banking. It seems we just have to be extra cognizant that we now have the power to not only create a great outcome for the, uh, for the borrower, uh, but also for the collector, right? Now we can see when is the most advantageous time and are you scooping out that money prior to their red check coming out, right? And then you have to be careful about the payment hierarchy and what's actually, you know, not making making sure that we're not leaving um, a borrower in um, in a state of destitution where not only can they not repay that debt, they also can't make rent or pay for other essential needs. And I'm bullish about the technology. It's a both. It's a both and. No, I completely agree. Neil, what are your, your sort of views on, I guess, um open banking in this space yeah it's, it's really interesting so so I've, I've, I've my career has taken me through investments pensions uh, insurance into banking and now into debt collection so so, so maybe it's estate agents next in the uk who, who knows but we're, we're, it's it's very mistrusted let's say our part of the sector and and, and sadly so because the, the in, certainly in the uk the consumers who are in the problem debt cycle have been in it for 10 15 20 25 years uh, our research has empirically proven it, and, and so they've come from a, 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 a time pre-regulation where it was people banging on your door and, and taking your car off the drive and that kind of stuff. And so, so there's huge, deep mistrust. Now we did do an open banking pilot, and and what we found was, and there's a little bit of financial literacy going on here as well. So you know, our our, our customers have a, a reading age of kind of six to seven in the UK. Are they prepared to make that step when it's a debt collector to connect their bank account to us? And we just couldn't make that work. Open banking is brilliant, but I think it's for certain sectors of financial services. And at the moment, my gut feel is when you're tr trying to overcome the deep mistrust in our part of the sector in the first instance, trying to encourage a customer to to, to connect their bank account was was too far far a hurdle to to overcome just now maybe in the future we'll see yeah look i think it's a it's a really good caveat right and i think um no you know none of this is a straight line none of this is sort of like one size fits all and i think certainly near where you are i think it's uh it's sort of meeting people where, where they are isn't it yeah totally
No, which might ask a question. Sure. What were the incentives in that case uh, for uh, one of the uh, individuals you were, you know, trying to um, collect from in that sense to actually connect their bank account? I'm just super interested as to how did you position it as a thing to do? So, so from a regulatory perspective, and importantly, we have to get a really good in- detailed in- uh, view of income and expenditure. Now, it's historically, that that has taken nearly half an hour on a phone for a customer. Imagine. You know, if somebody had asked me what my council tax bill was and my water bill was and my en- all my energy bills right here, right now, when I make a phone, I would I wouldn't have a clue, and I, I guess the vast majority of the population probably wouldn't either. And so you're put on the spot there to some extent to try and give give us a view of income expenditure, which is important from a regulatory perspective and for us to get a sense of is there a level of vulnerability and should we be pursuing this or not. Um, what we wanted to understand from an open banking perspective would would that cut down the time for a consumer to be able to, dare I say, not spend half an hour on the phone with us and condense it to five or ten minutes because they've they've connected it. Um, but again, going back to where we are in the sector, there was still just a such a big hurdle to go. Well, you've you you've found me in air quotes. Now you're expecting me to connect my bank account to you and and that trust hurdle was too big to overcome just now fascinating thank you yeah really is all right we're just going to take a quick pause here and we'll be back with you very shortly a lot of you know 11fs for our chart topping podcasts our events videos reports and a bunch of other cool stuff that we do but what a lot of you don't know is that this is just all our side hustle we do so much more than that at 11fs ventures we're partnering with ambitious businesses around the world to design build and launch truly digital financial services we are building banks shaping new propositions and growing existing offerings that change the fabric of financial services and our design research strategy and engineering experts are working to improve your customer's relationship with money. To find out a little bit more, check us out at 11fs.com forward slash ventures. Okay, welcome back to the show. So as previously touched upon, um, debt collection is an unavoidable part of the industry. So let's look how we make it more humane and and more responsible as uh, as we've been discussing. So maybe Neil, if I come back to you again on this one, um, what are some of the practices that Lowell is looking to avoid when it comes to debt collection? Great question. Um, I, I, I'm in a strange position as a, U- a marketing director in the UK where um, our customers don't want to be a customer of ours. And ultimately, if I've done a good job, then they won't be a customer of ours again. You know, the, 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 the cycle of debt collection will mean that we will always be around commercially. So you have the balance of commercial versus customer. But but the, again, it goes back to those emotional symptoms of debt, and we and I personally believe that as a brand, if you if you are encouraging somebody to engage who is disengaged for, for what could be many years before before the, uh, we we buy the debt, there's a sense of isolation, there's a sense of being threatened, there's a sense of being accused almost, and and there's a huge level of vulnerability. So I think again to previous points, it's it's really important you provide a level of service and, and, and capability that, that, that engenders that trust. So we give away free credit scoring um, in our app. Uh, we give away a free benefits calculator for customers to understand where they can find the money to help pay off the debt. 
And and the ultimate outcome for me is that if I, if I can look back in a few years and go, hundreds of thousands of people got out of debt sustainably and for good and didn't come back into our part of the sector, that is kind of job done. And the byproduct is, you know, the commercials come through as well. Um, so I, I, I do personally think it's deeply understanding the emotional impact of debt on people, which I don't think the sector has done historically. I think it's nice, Neil, as well, because it's clear that you guys are taking a, a sort of longer term, a longer term focus with that sort of like customer in mind, right? Because it would be easy just to focus on getting the debt paid, but actually, from what you describe, it's it's more about sort of giving people, I suppose, the tools that they need to build better financial habits and behaviors yeah. and not end up in that in that situation again right and, and again balancing that commercial versus customer lens we, we 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 know that if a customer can make up the first two or three payments of their problem debt with us they generally pay the whole lot off but if they miss that first or second payment because of the volatility of in the finances and they can't find the five or ten pounds at the end of the month then it's really, really difficult for them, particularly in the climate that we're in at the moment. So anything that we can do where we go, here's some tools and services that can help you find money that you um, may not know you were entitled to is only going to be a good thing. Yeah, it's it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, actually understanding those triggers is a really a really powerful thing, right? Because, Semek, you talked about the... the um, potential role in like with AI and sort of like the technological intelligence to build in to build in better sort of like rules and all of that sort of stuff to 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 sort of not force customers into situations that they don't need to be in but I suppose Karen like what what Neil just said is that it's sort of for me Debt's ultimately a human problem isn't it really and you're going to react to that emotionally and, and sort of on a human level you know it it is. It is a. It is a human problem, and I. I don't think we've done a great job to date in the U.S. of taking that human experience, but looking at the systemic drivers of it. And I think we saw, you know, many, many countries in the world. We had a big policy response during the pandemic, right? We injected a lot of cash into our economy uh, and in the form of payments directly to households. And what we saw during that time period was people went and paid down their debt, right? When they had free cash flow, they paid down their debt and they started building up savings. And so I just want to, I would just want to put out there, especially for our U.S. listeners, that we actually have evidence of what happens when people have enough income and when they have routinely positive cash flow that they don't, it's not that they don't know what to do, right? They know what to do. They'll start paying down the debt. Um, so there's sort of a overarching, there's a systemic opportunity um, for us to uh, help people respond at a human level to a systemic problem. I also think that, you know, there's a lot of, um, in addition to what I've talked about before around, uh, you know, there's reform at the federal level, there's reform at the state level we can do vis-a-vis -vis wage garnishment, bank account seizure, courts, all of this. I think sort of hovering in the middle here, um, and I'm really curious about your all's experience in the, U in the UK, um, there's a big inf information asymmetry problem in the debt collection process, right? So 75% of, of debt that goes delinquent in the US is to like nine different debt buyers. That's who buys it, and they buy it for as little as five cents on the dollar. 
But these companies have names. These the people contacting individuals have names that these people have never heard of. Like who is Portfolio Recovery Associates? I don't know that organization. I had a credit card with that bank or I had a cell phone, I had a telecom bill with Verizon, but I don't know who Portfolio Recovery Associates is, right? And so there's a lack of transparency. Who owns my debt? How much do I really owe? Is there an opportunity to negotiate or not? I think we have in the spirit of building transparency in this process. I've actually seen some really interesting tech platforms being built to allow for negotiation between uh, the debtor and whoever owns the debt, whether that's the original creditor or a secondary debt buyer. I think that is um, sort of a, an, an intermediate step we need to take around driving transparency. And like, what if there was a Kelly Blue Book for debt, right? For I can look up what my 20, uh, just for example, what my 2015 Toyota Sienna minivan is worth, uh, what that asset is worth. What if I could look up what that asset is worth to my bank? And then I would, or, and what do people normally pay on those sorts of debts, right? Like there just seems to be a lot of information that one side of the, of the sort of transaction has that the other side doesn't have access to. And um, I wonder what role technology can play in rebalancing some of that, some of that asymmetry, especially to curb the abuses that we know are in this system in the U.S. I listen. I completely agree. I think that's such an interesting point, and actually, really interesting term, information asymmetry, because that's exactly what I was thinking when we were talking about um, credit scoring and actually how open banking is starting to change that. Right, because I think credit scores—they're a complete black box. I, as a consumer, do not really understand what goes into that. And then banks have their own models that, you know, a, a credit score is just a single little part of that model. I've got, whereas, you know, CMAC, the, 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 the sort of the model that we talked about, that sort of like being able to share your real-time information with providers and getting benefited, getting the reward of sort of fairer, more accurate loans and all of that sort of stuff. Again, that just strikes me as a game changer sort of moving forward. It's personalization effectively, right? Um, it, that's happening in, in lots of different industries from from personalized medicine through to, you know, hopefully um, debt and, and lending, right? Um, if you can um, provide quick, easy access to your information so that lenders in this case can make a very personalized um, proposition for you based on your spending habits, your saving habits and so on, um, You'll, you, you'll ultimately be the, the net recipient of, of, of that. I think as well, what open banking can do from a data side, as well as helping lenders, um, as well as helping people who are providing you know, services, um, can help uh, consumers um, much, much more easily manage their own money, right? So understand more easily at a touch of a button what they are spending, right? What they're spending money on, what they're not spending money on, what the opportunities for saving and paying down debt is so to, to the Karen's point when when people have the cash flow, I th find that fascinating. When people have the cash flow, they they do the responsible thing, right? Um, so how do you provide the opportunity for them to for people for people to either get the cash flow or see the cash flow? And I think that open banking from the data side has an opportunity to do that too for consumers. Um, and then on the payment side as well, open banking uh, provides an, a real opportunity for consumers to just set up. You know when they do have the cash flow to set up automated, you know, uh, uh, forget, you know, leave and forget sort of processes whereby, great, if I've got you know, ten pounds, twenty pounds, thirty euros, a hundred dollars free at the end of the month, 
sweep it into this account, pay, pay down that debt, don't even tell me about it, right? Um, and those things together, you know, better understanding of the, of the consumer from the, from the business side, better understanding of your own finances, and then the ability to just automate the paying down of debt when cash flow is available, I think uh, presents a, a fantastic opportunity. I just have to jump in. It's so cool. Like, that's uh, the opposite of, uh, in the US, we have a fintech called Digit. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Digit, but it's the same functionality, right? It's just putting it against the liability side instead of the asset side. And I am um, like, what if there was a thing that could do both at once and help you get the right mix, right? Because there's a thinking broadly about the household need. Sometimes people are struggling with, wait, what do I do with the ex extra dollar? Do I put it against this kind of debt? Assuming it's not problem debt, right? Do I put it against debt? Do I put it in emergency savings? Do I put it in retirement savings? And I feel like we're getting to the point with a combination of machine learning and or AI and our open banking where you can imagine a little bot that just does it does the right thing for you, whatever that right next thing is. Absolutely. So, you know, we work with a number of different partners, um, uh, customer uh, businesses who, who do who do very similar things. So, you know, companies like like Plend, who, who are using um, automated open banking payments to help people pay down debt, um, businesses like New to help people, you know, save for a house for the first time. I think the, 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 the next level, Karen, as you're introducing there is how does, how do I set up my account to optimize between those two things, for example? And uh, yeah, I think the use of both machine learning, AI, and open banking powered both data and payments is is critical to that and super exciting. No, I, I totally agree. And I think um, it's like when we sort of talk about it, I guess, in this context, it's easy to be optimistic. I guess, Neil, I'm going to give you the final word. If we go back to, I suppose, that initial question around the sort of like taboo that sort of currently, I suppose, surrounds debt. What are your thoughts just in terms of how we sort of how we sort of break that taboo in terms of how we move forward? Uh, certainly here here in the UK, we need to work harder with the regulators. So so let's take some examples, council tax and um, uh, car parking fines, unregulated, I'll use air quotes again, and, and owned by the government. But the the association with the behaviours in that territory, let's say, and the regulated parts of the sector, from a customer's mindset, they just see the same thing. Um, so, so, so it goes back to this: how do you how do you improve and increase trust in our part of the sector, so that ultimately the the, the, the credit cycle works better? I'll, I'll finish with a, a little bit of a, an example. So, going back to Karen's point about who are these guys? You know, I've never heard of them. We wanted to build a brand that was dare I say, a little bit loud and proud of, of, over the years. And we're the first in the UK in, in our sector to do TV advertising. We did a big A-B test where we took a certain region of the UK and we saw increased engagement as, as a result of saturating that region with marketing. So there was that inherent belief from myself, which is like any brand that you buy from. If you see it on TV, you think they're big, you know they're big, you trust them. And, and and we've proven that here in the UK, and it's how how do you get the brands, not just ourselves, the rest of the, our competitors in the UK, coming out from below the radar and being mistrusted and and um, having the huge amount of stigma associated with engaging with them to help customers get back into the credit cycle. Yeah, that's that's such a great point. I think to close on, like you know, problem debt is. It happens. It's 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 something that I suspect most people experience at some point or another. It shouldn't be dealt with 
in the shadows because that just encourages bad practices. It should be out there and it should be engaging with customers, like you said, Neil, in a way that actually builds trust over time, right? So yeah, look, I think I think an excellent way to end. Um, so that does wrap up today's discussion. I will say to all my guests, thank you so much for joining me. Um, let's go around the virtual room. I'll just ask you guys, um, where can people find out more about you and uh, your company? So Neil, let's start with you. Uh, good old LinkedIn. Um, if anyone's got any questions or, or wants to, 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 to bat some ideas around um, and then lol.com for our corporate site and .co.uk for how we engage with our customers. Lovely. Thanks, Neil. Uh, you can find out more about GoCardless at gocardless.com and you can check out the GoCardless LinkedIn page. And as for me, you can probably find me best on something like Twitter. So at Simac, S-I-A-M-A-C. And uh, feel free to talk to me about uh, payments, fintech, debt, history, bonus points if you can combine them all together. Um, and uh, and uh, yeah, looking forward to it. I love the topic list. That's great. All right. And Karen, how about you? Yeah, uh, you can learn more about the Aspen Institute at aspeninstitute.org. There is an Aspen Institute UK in London, for what it's worth, my friends. Um, I'm on LinkedIn at Karen Biddle Andres. And I would also say uh, I, I would love to meet any of our British guests. I'll be spending the fall in London, actually, uh, with my husband's sabbatical. He's a professor. So would love to meet up and talk debt, debt collection, emergency savings, retirement savings, uh, anything on the balance sheet, uh, especially for vulnerable households. Excellent. That's awesome. Um, and as for me, you can find me at Ross Gallagher 7 um, And thank you for listening. Um, if you like what you've heard, please do subscribe to our podcast. Don't forget to leave us a review. It really does help us to make the show better. And it also helps other people to find it. As always, if you'd like to join the conversation, find us on social media. Just search for 11FS or Fintech Insider or email podcasts at 11FS.com. Thank you very much and goodbye.